thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. There were about 60,000 people in the Orlando Convention Center. It was the fifth Star Wars convention. I think they're on number 10 by now. They have them every couple of years. Now, my son, Skylar, sitting right there, is a big fan of Star Wars. And so we, with 60,000 other people, went to the Star Wars convention. We, we were from Orlando. We moved here a few years ago. And, and it was a sea of mental illness until <laughs> people were dressed like Wookiees and, and star troopers. You could shut your eyes and do this, and you would touch crazy wherever, wherever you went. <laughs> there were, my goodness, you could go and get your, your wedding vows renewed by either the dark side or the light side. People were, people were getting uh, tattoos with, the, with Star Wars themes. There were, it was absolutely amazing. I, uh, I actually saw a couple with a with an infant in a stroller that was set up like a, a snow speeder. I think that's the name of it. And, and, and he was wearing a little Yoda hat. And I thought, I'm a counselor. I trained counselors at Reform Seminary. And I wanted to just give him my card and say, this child, someday this child will need significant help. <laughs> so just hold on to this card. Um, it, was, it was an absolute goat rodeo. It was just amazing. Three days of this. At one point, my son Skylar and I were sitting at a table in the food court, eight-foot tables, and on the other side, there were two men dressed in some costume, and they started to get in an argument. And, they, and you could hear it. It was starting to be a lot of energy. And you think, well, they must be fighting about something pretty important. And so you start listening in, and all of a sudden you realize they're fighting about whether or not a, an X-wing fighter could go into hyperspace. And you think, you know neither of those things exist. You know that, and they're about. A couple of things I learned those days. First of all, I learned that people are incredibly faithful to a good story. And Star Wars is a, is a good story told well. But I also learned that there is a propensity that we have to kind of put people in different groups. Because there were the people that had, that were dressed in, in, in the Star Wars costumes and they looked down on those of us that weren't. And then there were people who had all the lingo and they knew the, they knew the way that the Death Star, they had the, the, the lingo for it and the schematic drawings as if there was really a Death Star. And, they were, and, and, and there were different levels and people would be disqualified. You didn't wait long enough. You weren't a, a VIP member. You didn't go and stand in line and get an autograph from... Stormtrooper 8, so you didn't, you know, get that same status. And it's amazing. 
the passage you've been looking at this summer. You've been looking at the book of Colossians. And Colossians, was the, the book was written from Paul from a prison cell, and he was concerned about the way the people in the church were starting to see their Christianity, and they were starting to see it, and they were starting to divide people up based on, well, some people were being judgmental, and some people were, were disqualifying others. And it was and all of a sudden, what was happening in the church is their faith became Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus something else. Now there's, there's kind of Christian math. And in Christian math, I want you to remember, if you fall asleep and wake up in 20 minutes and say, what was the point of all that? Remember this line, Jesus plus something else equals nothing. Because what Paul has been saying in the first few chapters of Colossians, he's been saying that, the, he's been talking about the enoughness of Jesus, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is the, is the issue. Jesus, who Jesus is, is how we become spiritual. And that's been his point. And we're gonna look at an amazing passage together. We're gonna read it in just a moment. The, the passage is the hinge passage for the book. The beginning of the book, Paul has been emphasizing the theology. He's been saying, who is Christ? The supremacy of Christ, who is Christ? Because you've gotta get that down path. Now, at the end of the book, he's gonna be talking about how we should behave. But if you get how you should behave before you understand who Jesus is, then you're gonna get everything twisted because you're gonna think your spirituality comes from something you do. <laughs> I guess the question that we'll answer today or we'll think about together is this idea of what makes you spiritual? You know, we live in a culture where everybody tries to be special, but if everybody's special, nobody's special. However, in the gospel, the beauty is that Jesus makes you sacred, a part of his family. So what makes somebody spiritual? What makes somebody sacred? What makes somebody a part of the family of God? And that's the point of the beginning of the book of Colossians. And it's Jesus. But if you get start to get your theology sideways, well, that's what he's gonna talk about with us. But before we talk about him, before we talk about his word, let's talk to him and let's pray together. Father, We come before you this morning and you know us all. Every person in this room you've brought here. And so would you change us because we've spent time in your word? Would you let your spirit blow through here like a mighty wind? Father, you know the couples that are struggling. You know the people wrestling with doubt and fear. You know the people with bad news from doctors and well, you know everything. And so meet us and change us here. Father, for the people in the room that are too comfortable, would you use this time to disrupt them? For the people that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort? And for all of us, use it to equip us for your great purposes and for your glory. We pray this in the powerful, powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And we're gonna look together in Colossians. And so... If you would, I'm gonna, uh, it's on page 
984 in your Bible. And we're gonna read, I'm gonna read to you, read for you Colossians 2, 16 through 23. This is God's word that we're reading together. Starting with verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festivals of, of a new moon or of a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on aestheticism and the worship of angels going into detail about visions puffed up without reason by their sensual mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, if you are still alive in this world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they, used, as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. May God bless the reading of his holy word, the word of God. After Paul speaks of, sets the, sets the table sets the table for the sufficiency of Christ, the enoughness of Jesus. After he does that, this passage is the hinge for the rest of the book. And he begins it by saying, therefore, therefore, since we have cleared the table and we've set it up that Jesus, Jesus is sufficient, therefore, be aware of these things. And it looks like in this section, he gives us three things we should look out for. Now, when this was written, he was speaking of Gnosticism and of, and of Jewish tradition that was taking place in the, in the town, in the church. But I think there's an application for us today as well. And so I'm gonna point out, I'd like, to, I'd like us to look at three things that you see in this text that I, I think might be helpful for us as well. So the first is hyper-spiritual rituals, Second is hyper-spiritual experiences. And third is hyper-spiritual appearances. And so in each one of these warnings, you're gonna see an example. You're gonna see a relational consequence because whenever there's sin, there's always a relational consequence. We're relational beings, God's a relational God. And when sin takes place, there's a relational consequence, a harm to relationship, to connection. So you're gonna see a example, a relational consequence, and then a metaphor. And those, those things should help us. Now, as we look at this, I wanna be real careful about something. It's really easy to read these, this passage and say, well, that applies to those people out there. Yeah, I know people who are judgmental. And I know some people out there who disqualify other people. And I know some people that are a little too concerned with kind of looking spiritual. But I would like us to have the courage to look at our own lives as well. 
I mean, I've never met a legalistic person who said, hey, good to meet you, I'm a legalist. Yeah, it's not happen. I've never met somebody who's too concerned with, with their appearance and looking spiritual to say, you know, I really don't care about anything of substance. I just want you to like me. I, I've never had someone come to me and say, I'm just going through the motions. No, we don't tend to be that honest about our own walk with Christ. And so this is crucial for us because if we add, if we add to the gospel our own efforts, it'll give us control. It'll give me control. I, I didn't control it instead of a sovereign God. I'll pick some, something I can do and, I can, and that, that gives me a kind of a special place and, and I'm in control, but that's not the gospel. And that's not our hope. And that's not what Christ is inviting us to this morning or in our lives. So the first thing I would suggest to you to look, at, look for is the hyper-spiritual rituals. Um, the example he gives are food, drink, special days. Listen, it says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to festivals of a new moon or of Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, it's really interesting here. God's not saying that it, I mean, this is a reference back to the Jewish festivals in the Old Testament, the ceremonial laws that we've all read. And we're not supposed to ignore those. We're supposed to learn from those things because they are a shadow of the things to come. But that's not what makes you spiritual. It's not wrong for you to, my, my family often will, will celebrate Lent and will, and it's extra biblical. You don't have to do it, but please understand, it won't make you spiritual. It, it, it might be a nice activity. It might be something that may teach you something. It might even be good for you, but it won't make you spiritual. Jesus plus rituals we don't need to add a plus to Jesus. He is, he is sufficient. He's enough. So these experiences that the people would have, they were, they were, they were, after people converted, some of the Jewish Christians of the day would say, well, you need to make sure you're following the, following the festivals. You need to make sure you're, you're, you're circumcised. You make sure you need to do all those things. And Paul is saying, wait a minute. Watch out for people who add rituals to the gospel. I told you there was a relational consequence for every one of these examples. And the first one is a relational consequence of feeling judged. If you're in the presence of somebody whose, whose theology is starting to twist the wrong direction, that Christ is no longer that su the supremacy and how they understand and and see their faith, one of the things you'll feel when you're around them is judgmentalness. You'll feel judged. You'll feel like they're, they're judging you. They're, they're looking at you. They're, who, who do you and I judge? Are you, where are you judgmental? Where am I judgmental? These are the places that God would want us to see that this sort of Jesus plus is starting to be added into our faith. And so if when you sense of someone being very judging or when you sense yourself falling into being very judging and legalistic, watch out. 
Because that's a sign that you're adding something other than Christ into the faith. It's important. It's crucial because Jesus is sufficient. He's enough. I told you there was a spiritual consequence. There was a relational consequence. There was an example and there was a metaphor. Now the metaphor in this is the idea of a shadow. Now, a shadow is a representation of something that's real. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the most amazing grandchild in the history of the world is in this room at this very moment. (laughs) Now, I'm not gonna embarrass them, but they're sitting right there. That's Cedar James. And since I've been a grandfather now for about, well, since September, I've been, I've been practicing in my mind, you know, the important things that you can do when children are below three, like magic tricks that really aren't magic. And, and one of those is shadow things. You know, when you, remember when you were a kid and you thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, your grandfather would go, it's a dog, it's a puppy. Look at the shadow puppet. And you know, your, your, and your grandfather would look at you like, well, that's pretty clever the way I can do that. It would be foolish if you had real animals. It'd be foolish if you had a real puppy. It'd be foolish if you had a real farmyard full of animals to spend a lot of time being too intrigued by shadow puppets. And so what Paul is saying here is it's fine. The rituals, the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, we don't ignore that because it is a shadow of something that's real. It's not wrong in and of itself, but don't become enamored by the ritual. Be enamored by the real thing. So that's the first warning he gives to the church. He says, watch out for hyper-spiritual rituals. Next, look out for hyper-spiritual experiences. Let me start with verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going into detail about visions puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Now, most scholars believe this is, a, this is referring to an ancient practice of, of people that would, would fast or starve themselves in order to kind of get a vision. And then they'd get real excited about this vision, whatever vision they had of, of angels or of, and they would want to tell everybody about their vision, their experience, their, their, their religious experience. And that became, that became something that became very, uh, it became too important in the church. Now, you know you're in trouble when you have bored your grandchild <laughs> and your grandchild had to leave during their first sermon they ever heard. I'm just saying, I think... I think Cedar James is upset that all he's going to get from me are little shadow puppets. You know what I mean? I think he's going, I want the real thing. So back to the story. Um, so in the text, what you've got is you've got a, a, a group of people that were making a big deal about their experiences. 
and it's their experiences that made them okay. Now, if you look at that, um, we, we live in a society today where experiences almost everything. Philosophically, there was a time when people said truth was determined by what was revealed. People believed that that, that truth was determined by what was revealed by God and we should learn that and that's how we should understand truth. And then modernism came in and modernism said, truth is determined by rational thought or by empiricism, by science or rational thought. And that's how you find truth. Well, we've moved to postmodernism in, in academia and in postmodernism and in our society, truth is determined by your experience. And so if you experience something, it must be true. And so you'll hear phrases like, well, that's your truth. That's your truth. Well, you're, that's a good truth. Or I, I might be this, but I identify as this. This is what I experience. And experience becomes how we define what is true. And that's dangerous. Because experience, Christians aren't anti-experience any more than we're anti-rituals. But experience isn't the basis for spirituality. We know denominations that say if you don't have this experience, then you must not be, you're, you're a second class Christian. That's not what the Bible would teach. That's not what Paul would teach here. The experience is, is okay, but it's not what makes you spiritual. It's not what makes you, it's not what, it doesn't replace Christ. And, and the metaphor, and, Next, I said that there was a relational consequence to, or a relational consequence to each one of these. The relational consequence to this, this, sort, of, um, this sort of issue of, of experience is that you feel disqualified. It says, don't let people disqualify you. That phrase in the Greek is really an athletic phrase. It means, it would be like a, like a referee saying, you're out, you're disqualified. It's it's really an athletic term. Saying you don't you can't compete. You don't belong. You are out. And so it says, don't let people disqualify you because you haven't shared those experiences. So I told you it would have an example. It would have a relational consequence. And then I said that there would be a metaphor, and the metaphor here is just is the idea that you're cut off from the head. The metaphor is the idea that people who get caught up in, in this sort of experiential understanding of spirituality, what happens is the head, which would be Christ, is separated from the experience. And so the experience is what's most important as opposed to, to, the, to the truth of God's word and, and the truth of Jesus Christ and the supremacy of Christ. And that's replaced by experience. So it's really dangerous. Do you understand how that works? Do you see how how we, we, that Paul is concerned about the idea of hyper-spiritual rituals, but also very concerned about hyper-spiritual experiences. I'd also like to just have you look at hyper-spiritual appearances. Now, the next section is slightly different in its, in its structure, but it's got the same basic ideas. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why if, why, if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to these things that will perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. 
They have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's long been a part of Christian tradition to punish ourselves to make ourselves look more spiritual. I'm glad we've kind of given that up some in our culture, but there was a time, if you read C.S. Lewis, sometimes you'll hear about putting on a, a hair coat. And what, they, what that used to do, that sometimes Christians, to, to be more spiritual, would, would put on a, a, a coat that was, very, that was wool and, and would just scratch. And they would, walk, they would wear that all day to try to make them more spiritual. Um, they would punish themselves in order to show great spirituality. Now, don't misunderstand. Sacrificing is a part of the Christian life. Uh, and, and Jesus talks about fasting and he assumes it will fast, but the fasting isn't what makes you spiritual. You fast because that may make you, that may uh, get you to focus more closely on the person of Christ, not because it'll make you more spiritual. It doesn't have the capacity to make you more spiritual. And so the, this, this idea of spiritual appearances. I want to look really spiritual by the way that, the way that I act and the way that, I, the way that I, I, I show how much I sacrifice or how much I, or how much I'm, how dedicated I am, how much I get up so much earlier than any of you. And I, and we, we've, we have to be careful that we don't turn, we don't turn that into what makes us spiritual because it doesn't. Paul's concerned that the church has in their hyper spirit concern about spiritual appearance and sacrifice and punishing their bodies might be actually uh, focusing on the wrong thing. Now, I told you that each one had a kind of relational consequence because all sin, all bad theology has negative relational consequences. And, and this one does as well. What does it say? It says, it has the appearance of Wisdom. So what does it make you feel when you're around those people that are, that are living that way, that are making the, they're making the focus themselves and their great sacrifices? Oh, there's a sense of you feeling foolish or, or stupid compared to their wisdom. But it's interesting what Paul calls this sort of faith. What he, what he calls this sort of action, he says that it is self-made religion instead of a God-focused Jesus Christ focused religion or relationship. What you notice in these, this passage are three warnings of bad theology. If you get your theology wrong, if you miss the idea of the supremacy of Christ, you could have hyper-spiritual rituals, hyper-spiritual experiences. We're concerned with hyper-spiritual Appearances. There is a metaphor in the last one, and that's that, it, that if, if you'll notice, it's, it talks about the idea that um, when it says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that will perish. The idea, the, the, the metaphor is a, is, a, is a fruit or something that would perish. It won't last. It doesn't, it doesn't have substance. Oh, and so often we spend our lives comparing ourselves to others and to their spiritual appearances or their appearance, or just we compare ourselves to them all the time. And in that, in that comparison, we lose sight 
because we're focusing on something that just will perish. It won't really last. It won't matter. It won't echo into eternity. It'll just wither away and perish. Oh, I'm not, I still have a few years left. So much of my life I've spent chasing things that will perish, comparing myself to others, comparing myself to wondering why I didn't get this or why I didn't get that or pretending I'm more spiritual than I am. My goodness, so much time wasted on perishable things. When God is offering a relationship, God is offering a, the person of Christ. And that's what's supposed to be center in our lives. Now, let me be real clear. A Christian faith is not anti-rituals. Clearly, those are fine. We're not anti-experience. We're not anti-sacrifice. We are anti-adding something that you're in charge of to the faith that makes you okay. It's the work of Christ and his imputed righteousness that makes you okay. It's the work of Christ, not the work of man. Last week, I got a phone call. Some people asked me to come to a funeral. And the funeral was for a young, well, 52, that's young to me, 52-year-old, non-typical young man who had Down syndrome. His whole life was, was very, very limited. He never learned to read, never learned to drive a car. They asked if I'd do his funeral. The only relative that would be there was, that was left on earth was his sister. And, and then some of the other people who were at the funeral were just the other people that were in the home that he lived in. And as I was getting, I said I'd agree to do the funeral. And as I was getting off the phone, they said, oh, and by the way, we don't want this to be a memorial service. We want this to be a celebration of life. Celebration of life. What, what, what makes a life worth living? What, what makes it a life lived well? What, how do you celebrate a life I was, I was thinking of the, our text and, and thinking of that funeral. I, I'll tell you what makes a life worth living, a life lived well. And that's how we started the service. I said, we're here to celebrate a life lived well. He was an image bearer of God with dignity in his design who because he was an image bearer of God could reflect glory. And he knew Jesus. His sister talked about how he, would, he loved to have the Bible read to him and, and that he loved to talk about Jesus and he loved whenever they talked about Jesus and read the Bible and, and his friends came up to me afterwards and talked about how he loved them and he was their friend. 
That was a life lived well because what made it a spiritual life lived well was the centrality and the the enoughness of Jesus. The truth is, someday someone will do a funeral like that for my son. I wonder, will he know that it was a life lived well? Well, he knows Jesus. He's an image bearer of God. (laughs) And that's all that matters. And by the way, from God's economy, all of us are kind of spiritually autistic. And from God's economy, we're all barely just, we, the, the gap between that gentleman who I did his funeral in my mind might be this much, but the gap between God's mind and my mind, you can't measure. We're all riding the short bus to glory. And at some level, if you believe, if you believe it's something you do, if you believe it's something that you offer, if it's something that you contribute that makes your life a life lived well, no, it is, a, it is the, a, the, the, the enoughness of Jesus, the sufficiency of Christ in our lives, in our theology, in our faith, in our community that makes it a life lived well, that echoes into glory. Well, the question is, so what? So what? What does this mean to us? Well, what I would say is, what I'd love for you to take away from this, our chat this morning would be maybe the reminder how easy it is to make it Jesus plus something. And when you get there, you're in dangerous territory. Also, I'd want you to remember that that our faith is a personal faith. It's not a professional faith. It's not a faith of performance. It's a personal faith. Remember Remember when Paul converted, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Remember Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Jesus didn't say, you know, you've been a real goober head and I'm really mad at you about the way you've treated my children. No, what he said to him was, why do you persecute me? Our faith is not a, a list of things we agree to or disagree with. Our faith is a personal relationship with a living God because of the work of Jesus Christ and his work is enough to call you his child, to make you spiritual. And once you settle that, once you realize that it's up to him, then then there'll be conversations about how you should live. But how how you live your rituals and your experiences, your appearances, that's what not, that's not what matters in glory. So application, 
Look at where you're judgmental to other people. Think about that this week. Who are you judgmental against? Who do you snub your nose up at? Because my guess is that will tell you something about how you're adding something to your faith. Who do you disqualify? Think about who you disqualify. And if, and if you're... And if you're disqualifying, maybe you're adding something to the faith other than Jesus. Who are you comparing yourself to? Who are you, who are you looking at on Facebook and comparing your life and your faith to? Maybe. Maybe to the degree that you compare is to the degree that you're adding something to your faith other than the supremacy and importance, centrality, enoughness of Jesus. Could suggest even that you might want to take this week as you study Colossians and get ready for next week to also just reread the Gospels. Get reacquainted. Get eye to eye, face to face with this Jesus. Because that's what this is all about. We make it about our rituals. We make it about our sacrifices and appearances. Paul said, no, it's about Jesus. God's inviting you this morning to step away from the shadows, step away from the images, step away from the rituals, and step closer to reminding who is the author and finisher of our faith. An invitation to see Jesus again. To see him as enough. Because that is our hope in the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege it's been to be here and and share, chat, think about your word. Father, we are, we're relentlessly stubborn. And we are so committed to sometimes thinking of rituals and lesser things than you. I think we do that, Lord, because it gives us control or feel safer. Well, give us the courage to step away from those safe things that perish and step out of the shadows and into the light of your son, Jesus Christ. Pray his name, amen.